Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on TWIP, Nikon traffic cams go missing in New York City, the misuse of the term HDR, and special guest Rafael Concepcion of Layers TV. All that and more on episode number 100 of This Week in Photography. And welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photography. Uh, we've got a really interesting show lined up. Lots of news to talk about, but before we do that, let's introduce the fabulous co-hosts. Uh, first up is Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing really good. I'm excited good. to be doing show number 100 with you. Thanks for coming number on. Number 100. Oh, this is, you know, technically like show 102 or something like that. It's a pseudo Those two 100. aborted attempts uh, a year ago where we were trying to get this it, whole thing really I'm calling it 100 regardless. I don't care. We could start from here, you know. So That's right. So we'll have a, yep. a clean 200 when we get to it. And well, it's a bummer we didn't have Alex on here. We uh, we tried to get him on. Uh, this is actually the second attempt of this show, too. Yeah, but, uh, but say this is 100B. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yesterday uh, we had we tried to record this week of photography and had uh, the Skype gremlins. Somebody didn't pay their penance or something because they were they were mad at us and <laughs> wouldn't let us. Yeah, wouldn't let us do you it. People don't know. I mean, listeners they have no idea how often we sit here and have problems with Skype uh, dropping things out on us. It's an, it's for every amazing. for every bad uh, every now and then when you get like you know dropouts in the middle of the show, that's nothing compared to the actual hang up. Try again. Oh yeah, I know. But hey, let's try to get through the show without it cutting out because you may be angering the gremlins right now by talking badly about them. <laughs> I spit in their face. Exactly. Oh, here we go. <laughs> that other true. voice you heard in there was Mr. Aaron Mailer. Hey, Aaron. Hey, guys. How are you? Happy I'm 100th. Happy 100th. Yeah, we made 100th it. 100th B. We made it. We should have a little cupcake with a with a candle on it or something. I feel like we should be doing something special like that. But, you know, in all honesty, I put out a tweet asking uh, the, my followers what we should do for the 100th show. I got some really interesting responses. Um, a lot of them involved giving away stuff. <laughs> of <course. laughs> but there were some really creative ones in there, which we may do um, uh, maybe later in, in a, a couple episodes down the line when we have a little more bandwidth to do it. But, uh, yeah, there's some pretty interesting things that we could, so that we could do. Um, one of the ideas that came from Ron Brinkman <laughs> was, <laughs> was to, uh, to, to prank call one of those shady dealers in New York, shady camera dealers in New York city. And, uh, I think that would be a great idea. Prank call yeah, on the air. Yeah. Yes, one of the, one of these guys that you know you you go online and you see a great deal on a on a new Canon 5D and then once you order it you realize that they will refuse to ship it to you unless you buy you know a few hundred dollars worth of the peripherals that they claim you need. Yeah, it's a classic scam. But yeah. uh, the the yeah, sell up be fun the, to call them up. But yeah, yeah, we should we should do that. And uh, one of the other ideas that came in was. Um, to do a uh, and actually this was I don't know why am I saying this came in this was my idea um, to do a uh, call-in show so I have a I have a Google voice number 
a separate Google, Google Voice number uh, for This Week in Photography that we could just have listeners call into and, you know, tell us what they think of the show and tell us what they love. And I'm sure a lot of them will tell us what they hate of the show. And then add that to all together into one interesting, you know, show. The listeners talking to the listeners sort of thing. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll do some things like that in the future. But not on this show. This show, uh, we're going to talk about interesting things like news and the first thing off in the news today is uh nikon now apparently nikon uh (laughs) if you if you were a nikon fan uh and living in new york city as a couple of people were uh traffic cameras turns out were powered by nikon what what, which one was just that's just powered by the the traffic cameras yeah the traffic cameras not just powered by they were actually they're in a d2x in the little box that's taking the picture of your license plate when you roll a stop sign or whatever it is nikon d2x sitting at every intersection in a box (laughs) no in new york city (laughs) now i wonder what happened i wonder what happened So, so Ron, Ron, tell us what happened to those cameras. Uh, some, some, some enterprising individuals realized that uh, apparently they had access to a cherry picker. <laughs> and, uh, you can rent for a hundred dollars a day. Yeah, <laughs> Step one. Collect, collect themselves some Nikon D2Xs. So yeah, they uh, they went around town and started pulling. Me. I don't know how if there's there was no lock on these boxes or uh, easily broken one, but they went around town and started pulling these Nikon's out of the. Out of these uh, traffic cameras, and and then uh, sold them. Jeez! Oh, and what did they 80, sell them for, Aaron? <laughs> Eighty-eight thousand dollars worth, which they sold to B and H as used cameras to fund a heroin addiction or habit. So, wow. you know, that's that's enterprising. Which is, you know, a, a lot yeah. of initiative for a heroin addict. I gotta say. No kidding. No wow. kidding. Yeah, but Nikon D two X is. I mean, couldn't they have found in New York City? You know, couldn't they have used something else or? <laughs> I, I, it just seems like overkill to use a full-on Nikon DSLR well, you know, we, to we take pictures of license plates. You know, it it does in one respect, but on the other hand, it's it's kind of like a lot of times you hear about these government programs where they spend inordinate amounts of money to design custom solutions. So at least it's something that's somewhat off the shelf, and one would one would hope a little more cost-effective, but. I don't know. Yeah, it does. It's it's a pretty nice camera to be taking these things. But you know, on the other hand, you need something that's got some kind of probably low light capabilities and something that uh, uh, has a good good long lens on it. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm wondering if the boxes were locked, you know, or were they just right. by virtue of them being up high secure? <laughs> you know, yes, no one okay. will ever rent a cherry picker to get these. Yes. You know? it's funny. Who knows? Hey, you know, speaking of Nikon, I got a new camera. No, you didn't. What'd you get? <laughs> An icon. Everybody's expecting me to announce that I switched. No, I did not switch. I got a I got a, a Nikon uh, a Coolpix P90, which is a sort of one of those larger all-in-one point and shoots. And uh, I didn't actually I didn't actually buy it though. I was mm, full I was disclosure. It, so. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. I was given it by um, Backblaze, who I think I've mentioned a, a few times. They're sort of my favorite uh, backup solution of choice. And now I'm going to get accused of pimping them for pay, but uh, they Backblaze ran a contest last month where they gave away one of these cameras to just a random new uh, customer, and then they asked the customer who recommended Backblaze to them, and then they turns out they gave that person a camera too. So the person that signed up for it uh, said they heard about it from me. Oh. So anyway, hey, wait I, a minute. Does, does, that, does that mean that does that mean because I have almost six thousand followers now? Does that mean if I tweet out? 
go use Backblaze and somebody uses it, that I'll get a camera? It, it would have meant that last month Damn, had you done so. missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I needed that but, camera. <laughs> but the, the reason why I bring it up but not, is not to necessarily give full disclosure so much as I just thought it was an interesting camera. Um, it's It's the... I'm not completely sold on this sort of a intermediate camera because what it is, it's one of those that tries to be sort of a very broad zoom range. So this is a 24x zoom on here. It's something like a 28 millimeter to 625 millimeter zoom, uh, and that's really the distinguishing factor in this camera. So it's, it's an enormously long zoom at the Jeez. end of it. 625, um, 28 yeah. to 620. That can't be sharp. Come on. Well, that's the thing. So. That cannot be sharp. At 625, it's like, wait a minute, that's a plane. No, that's a person. I can't tell Yeah, so I haven't, you know, I haven't really sat down and done any kind of actual quality tests. But it's an interesting, and it's an interesting contrast to, you know, the one I normally carry around, uh, which is the, you know, my normal point shoot is the, the Lumix uh, LX3, which is very wide but has virtually no zoom to speak of. Yeah. So yeah. How, how much vibration? How much vibration yeah. does it tolerate at 625? Yeah, no, it's an excellent point. You know, it's 625 millimeter <laughs> equivalent uh, on, a, on a handheld camera like this, and, you know, a fairly light one as well. Uh, you almost have to be on a tripod or resting yeah. on something. Lock it down and use the timer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, speaking anyway. of cameras, Rico unveiled their GR Digital 3. <laughs> speaking of cameras. Speaking of little point-and-shoot <laughs> compact cameras. Compact Because that's cameras. an excellent segue in the middle of a camera show. Hey, I, yeah. I am a segue master. <laughs> I'm sorry. Speaking of cameras on this photography show, <laughs> Rico has unveiled the GR Digital 3 uh, digital compact uh, this one has a 1.9, an f1.9, 28 millimeter uh, prime lens on it with a 10 megapixel sensor. It is one of the first compact cameras to offer 920,000 dots on a VGA uh, screen, and it's got this full press snap mode, which jumps to a preset focus distance for fast street shooting, which is kind of cool. I've never heard of a camera having that, where you could say uh, focus on something, so you could be snapping away and then know that your target is four feet away and hit a button and have it just automatically snap to that so you could get that shot every time that's pretty interesting what do you guys this, think this is a, well this is a, clearly a very niche targeted camera i mean the fact that it's a it's a prime lens there's not a zoom so it's a fixed focal length and um but it's very fast and at 1.9 uh you know aperture is obviously a very fast lens so it's it's, it's a unique camera it's I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's clearly very limited in sort of flexibility-wise. But if there's a certain style of shooting that you do, like street shooting, uh, it could be exactly the thing for you, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Aaron, would you buy a camera like this? Mm, I, I think I'd want a little more versatility, to be perfectly honest with you, yeah. um, in terms of lens. Now, I do like the f1.9. It's awfully nice in it. And, you know, at 10 megapixels, you can certainly crop pretty well um, to some extent to make up for some of the zoom. You know, lack of zoom being a prime lens, but in theory, it ought to be awfully sharp too. If it is a, you know, a good prime lens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I know Alex. Alex was saying yesterday when we were making attempt number one that he bought a, the, I guess, the predecessor to this camera to do mm -hmm. some um, the video shooting with it because it was. What, what did he say was the only camera? Well, that it was. That could... He was using it for time lapse. Time what lapse. It was. Time lapse. Right? Yeah, he was setting it up on the set in Japan when he was there and letting it do time lapse photography because it was one of the few that had a built-in. You know, time lapse capability. Mm. Yep. So I wonder if this one has it. Well, speaking of time lapse, <laughs> <laughs> <Here> again. 
Yes. <laughs> this is the show of uh, ill-placed segues. So yeah. <laughs> This so week in Segway. Savetta uh, challenges the Spheron camera. So they, they've uh, Savetta has a, a released this camera, which is an all-in-one unit that sits on a, a stand and scans a panorama and produces a, a, a wide panoramic HDR image. Now, I challenge this, so I wanted to put it out there. We were talking about this before. HDR and the term high dynamic range, does that... If if you use that term, doesn't it today mean that you have to you're merging multiple images, uh, you know, one under, one over, one right on, or even further than that out in uh, exposures and putting that together to get one image that is kind of surreal or uh, hyper real, you know, not just an image that's taken with a camera that can record lots of resolution. What do you what do you think I, about that, Ron? Well. Uh... Today, I mean, it, it by in practice ends up being that most of the time. I mean, I would I would say that the term HDR, high dynamic range, doesn't necessarily imply any of that. It's just uh, getting something that is a broader than normal dynamic range, capturing a broader than normal dynamic range, and mm-hmm. you know, depending on what your definition of is of of normal is, you know, in, in some ways you can make the case that when you're shooting raw, you're shooting high dynamic range relative to shooting JPEG. So, I mean, this particular camera is sort of this all-in-one solution that does go through and take multiple exposures and uh, at the same time also uh, mechanically rotates the the entire assembly and so it gets you the full panorama and everything like that. So, you know, this one's clearly capturing a very large dynamic range if it's set up to do multiple exposures. But I don't I mean, generally, I don't know where that, you know, I, I suspect that that's just going to be one of those marketing-ish kind of terms that people are going to start to use because it's so it's so undefined you can kind of get away with calling something hdr when it may or may not be yeah i don't Speaking know of it, which it, it, it sorry it just reminds me of of the the term hd and how people are labeling all sorts of things hd when they're not hd like epson for example has a printer a printer line with the and they've slapped it with the hd moniker and people are like oh HD, good. I need to buy. Well, that. <laughs> no, you're, you're right, and I think it's exactly it's, it's exactly the same thing because HD is exactly that too. Where you know there, there really isn't uh, a completely hard and fast definition of HD unless you're you know living firmly in the in the video. I mean, even and even then, sort of the the definitions, the technical definitions for HD are a set of specs that are greater than what used to be standard video, right? So, mm-hmm. you can, again, you can kind of get away with calling something HD because it's a little bit of a loose spec on it, and then people are abusing it even beyond that. But yeah, I think it's the same thing. Unless you have something that's really well-defined, marketing is going to start to use it uh, in whatever way they see, see, see fit to do Damn it. Damn those marketers. Oh, wait, I am a marketer. <laughs> i, I got to say this. Savetta does qualify because it actually gathers a dynamic range of 30 f-stops. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would fit into my definition. Thirty f stops, really, as it as it spans yep. through. Wow. Yep. Thirty f stops, all levels of illumination. Wow, that must That's be really, that must be really that must be really uh, approachable in terms of price. How much is that? Aaron? It only costs twenty eight thousand six hundred euros. Okay. And uh, I don't think the euro. I forget what the current exchange rate is, but <laughs> it's a whole lot more than that in dollars. Well, I won't be running out to get one, but uh, looks interesting. You know, it would be cool if if you could rent one of those from someplace like you know Lens Rentals or something. I would love to just uh, play with that I for a day or two. I don't know if they would invest in that. That would take them a while to get their money back out of that renting that thing out. Yeah, and if somebody broke it, can you imagine? Ugh. So, also in the news. Uh, speaking of lenses, 
No, speaking of HDR. <laughs> speaking, oh yeah, this is that, that that fits too much. Speaking of HDR, Canon. <laughs> no, I'm not moving. I'm not going to the story next. Um, Canon, uh-huh. Canon uh, rumors.com uh, has they're they're talking about a lens adapter that allows your camera to see in the dark. Aaron, you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, you know, I'm going to pass that one to Ron because Ron brought this one into the show. Uh-oh. Hot potato. <laughs> more about it than I do. Hot potato. Ron Brinkman, you got it. Well, I, I don't know a whole lot about it, but um, th- this is uh, apparently some device that's like a photo multiplier that screws in between your camera body and your lens uh, and and uses you know the same sort of technology you have in night vision goggles to uh, to see in the dark, basically. Uh, so I'm assuming that what's inside of there, you know, you, you've transitioned from being a... Uh, uh, an optical solution to having a secondary intermediate t- uh, electronic solution in between the lens and the camera. But, yeah, it's just sort of like, if you can think of it, sticking a night vision goggles in between the lens and the camera body. Uh, I didn't see a price on that. I think it's pretty pricey. So I don't think right. it's a general purpose solution, but it's kind of an interesting idea. It's a military or SWAT solution, it sounds like. I don't know. Would you would you need that for anything or like any of your daily sort of world traveling walk around work around? <laughs> now, I, they are selling it as a uh, as an astronomy tool, you know, uh, an astronomical type of thing. Right. Uh, although, obviously, being able to see in the dark may have a variety of applications, I suppose. <laughs> How politically correct. How politically huh? correct you are. It's pretty large, <laughs> yes. too. I was just looking at it. I mean, it's the length of a decent-sized lens inserted between the body and a lens. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's very true. And then, yeah. Mm. So if anybody played with that out there, feel free to drop us a line. Let us know uh, if it's interesting or not. Well, speaking of interesting, (laughs) (laughs) Panasonic has released the Lumix or Lumix cams with, you guessed it, HDR capability. You see a trend here? Uh, so is this real think, HDR? Is this real? I think this fits your argument better than the last one we talked about. It's more marketing Sorry. than than yeah. yeah uh, I don't know. It is. It is. Well, what? It is. It, it it it's marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go ahead, it's, curmudgeon. The, Rip them a new one. Well, no, I, I uh, it's interesting because the article we were reading sort of made uh, the one that we sent around to each other in show prep sort of makes a big deal of the HDR. Reading the press release, they don't seem to talk as much about it. What it does is uh, it has a mode that is really kind of going back to what I said of when you're shooting in RAW, you're kind of shooting HDR, and the mode, apparently what it does is sort of take whatever the, the sensor is capable of grabbing, and when it makes the JPEG, it tends to, or it, it does its best attempt at compressing the highlights and the, the shadows into a more normal range and fitting it onto the JPEG. So I don't know if what they're doing is anything all that special or not, but they claim it's sort of a specialized HDR mode, but it doesn't give you a, a RAW file at the end of it. It gives you a JPEG. Well, it's uh, between 280 and $400, depending on one of the three models. And I did just check the exchange rate, and the last one we talked about was a little over $40,000 um, U.S. <laughs> so. so this is a deal. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm going to run right out and get one of those. Yeah. And speaking of, run, <laughs> speaking of running right out. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Speaking of running right out. Uh, so, uh, Ron, I know you're not using Lightroom. Uh, Aaron, you're using Lightroom, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, what this what, what, TTG? What's that? What yep. was, what's their? What's their? The, the turning gate. The I turning gate. Right. The turning yes. gate. Mm-hmm. The turning gate. Makers of these really high end and uh, beautiful galleries and plugins for Lightroom have released High Slide Gallery Pro, which is a multi-purpose gallery tool that can uh, spit out image galleries that can 
have, a, I guess, a face of or client proofing. Um, you can add email responses to them and shopping carts along with PayPal, the ability to take accept PayPal payments directly on your gallery. So if you have a PayPal account, you can generate a gallery from this thing directly out of Lightroom, tie it to your account, and uh, have people pay you to purchase your images right there. So kind of <laughs> like a, a shopping cart and a gallery all mixed into one little $40 plug-in, which is pretty interesting. Are you using any yeah. galleries in Lightroom right now, Aaron? Um, I've been using some of the built-ins, um, and I've also been a um, uh, an owner of Slideshow Pro for quite a while, so mm -hmm. I use their plugin as well. Um, but I have played with some of the uh, TTG um, galleries in the past, and I do like them, so I'm, I'm going to certainly look into this one as well. Yeah. As you said, it was $45. I think it's a $25 upgrade for people who own uh, previous editions. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, Ron, when you post your stuff online, uh, you're, I'm presuming you're using Aperture. Do you use any? You use what comes with Aperture? Do you do anything special? No, I use what comes with Aperture. I think there was some uh, slight tweaking I did. All the Aperture galleries, there's a text file behind them that has some configuration capabilities. So you can kind of go in and modify them a little bit beyond the standards if you really want to. You hacked I think Aperture. I tweaked it a little bit. You hacked Aperture hacked. for your, for your yes. own ends. Very cool. Good. Yes. Where, I want to see that. Where <laughs> Do you have any public galleries that people can go look at? Uh, good question. I don't know where they. I, I I'm think full of good questions. On, Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you go to digitalcomposting.com, there's a link on the right side that gets you to them. Yes. Very cool. All right. You want to see some custom hacked aperture galleries? Well, it's it's not it's it's it, that makes it sound like it was a, a tremendous you know engineering effort. All it is is that there was a limited length to the the page size that aperture enforced, which was kind of stupid. I uh, just you know the the vertical amount of scrolling you could do. It's a web page. You know, you're allowed to scroll. Uh, so, so, so all I did was take out the restriction on that. So TWIP listeners, if you would like um, Ron Brinkman to customize your Aperture Galleries, please <laughs> please reach out to him on Twitter, Ron Brinkman with two yeah. N's. <laughs> Don't even bother. It would take me more time to figure out what I did a year and a half ago. And, uh, yeah. It was worth my time. All right. Well, uh, on to the, the photo assignment, or actually the current poll. Um, this week we asked, or last week, I think it was, or for the last poll, we asked for your next digital SLR purchase. Will you hold and stick with your current brand or will you fold and switch to a different brand? And 94%, 94% of the respondents, 386 votes said they would hold on to their current brand and 6%, 24 votes said that they would, uh, jump to another ship hmm what about you guys are you you planning on staying where you are or are you uh eyeing you're gonna do the scott Bourne and move to a whole different universe i'm staying my lens investment's gonna keep me from moving anytime soon yeah yeah i know same here what about you ron you got you planning on um, jumping ship anytime soon i you know it's not out of the question i probably wouldn't but uh you know i think i think i'm at I'm at the point where I'm going to sort of see what the next generation is, uh, and, and I would think about it. You know, oh, for so me, it's a definite it, maybe. I hear a maybe in there. Yeah, you know, it's 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 for me that that low light capability of the the D700 mm -hmm. or the 700D, whichever whichever side of the number that Nikon puts their their letters on. D700. Uh, yes, the D700. Yeah, the low light capability of that is a very attractive to me. Uh, but you know, the 5D is very close to that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yep. I've got nothing. I got nothing that's you know uh, forcing me to need to upgrade right now. So I will probably sit it out for another year and see where things are at. But you know, it's not out of the question. I mean, the the lens investment is significant. On the other hand, you know, I I take decent care of my lenses and I could sell them for you know some fraction of what I paid for them. Yeah. So at some level, yeah, it's just part of the equation. Hey, here's a business model. Wouldn't it be cool if, say, a company like the ones that spent all that time coming up with that see-in-the-dark lens adapter came up <laughs> with a lens adapter that would allow you to switch uh, without penalty between different camera manufacturers? So I could buy this thing and then use Canon lenses on my Nikon or vice versa. Hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that never be nice? happen? Yeah, I know. <laughs> They'd be in court so quick. Yeah, yep. Nikon saying, "Hey, don't touch my F mount." Um, so, speak to finish off with the poll. We've got a new poll that we're going to put up. Uh, I think today, right, Aaron? This one's going up. Yeah, actually, it's, it was up. Put it up yesterday. Ah, well, we made our made our first attempt at episode one hundred. Gotcha. So, so yesterday, uh, and again, I want to. I want to thank Randy Brown, one of our listeners, for submitting these poll ideas for the next few weeks. Excellent. You want to go ahead and. Tell them what the poll is. Uh, sure, simple question. Actually, uh, how many lenses do you own? Uh, the answers right now are one to four, five to eight, nine to twelve, or more than a dozen. Excellent. All right, so head over to twiplog.com and submit your responses, and we'll uh, we'll report the results in the next show. So uh, coming up next, or now, we're going to jump into our guest segment with none other than Rafael Concepcion of Layers TV fame. I am here with uh, Rafael Concepcion. He is also known as RC, and on Twitter he's known as Layers TV underscore RC. He's with the uh, with the Layers Magazine team uh, and works on you guessed it Layers TV. He's joining me on this week in photography to talk about all kinds of stuff. And there's some there's some ribbing that needs to get done during <laughs> during this interview, among other photography topics. Hey, RC. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm I'm doing really good. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, good. I, I've got I've got a ton of stuff to chat with you about. Uh, first of all, I'm going to chat a little bit for the folks that may not know who you are and may not be following Layers TV. Can you talk a little bit about your background in a phot photography and what you're doing over at the National Association of Photoshop Professionals? All right. Well, so what I do is the National Association of Photoshop Professionals, right? The organization that's involved with all sorts of training with mm -hmm. Photoshop. Now, there's one show that they run called Photoshop User TV, and that's usually held by Scott Kelby, Dave Cross, Mac Laskowski. Now, about a couple of years back, I'd say about two, two and a half years back, I met up with Scott, and he was just like, well, you know what? We kind of need to add a little bit more to the team, kind of diversify, mm -hmm. and start doing different types of things. And my background is in I have a photo I have a photographic background mm -hmm. but mostly most of the stuff that I was doing was in Photoshop and the web so I spent a lot of time going online getting online and we thought it was a good time for us to kind of just come on and start offering a little bit more of how to be able to interact with Photoshop as it pertains to the web yeah. so that's kind of where it started but I'm kind of like the jack of all trades that's there because it's like I just don't do Photoshop. I'm going to do Illustrator, Lightroom, and InDesign, and right. Premiere. And so then all of a sudden that kind of evolved into the, all right, well, since you do all of these other things, why don't you do Layers TV? So yeah. and that's kind of where that was born. Wow. Yeah. So so now you are you the guy? I mean, you're like the executive producer of Layers TV or <laughs> well, it's it's a co-hosted show, right? So it's you've got Corey Barker, mm -hmm. who's a phenomenal phenomenal Photoshop guy, yep. and myself. So we both kind of get together and we're both the 
we're the people that come up with the content for the show. So it's kind of a co-branded show. Yeah. And is so on the show itself, you now is the show streamed online or is it is it a podcast or it's a, pod, it's a podcast. It runs every Wednesday and you can get it. You can watch it on layersmagazine.com or you can download it on iTunes. So you have two different ways to be able to do that. Got it. Got it. That's awesome. I mean, it's a great show and it's a great service for people from coming from all different genres of creativity, you know, and, uh, you know, now the one question I have is it's part of the whole layers universe there. Right. Um, how does it interwine or interwine if that's a word? How does it interweave with the with the print magazine itself? Well, what we started doing with the magazine, the magazine covers all sorts of stuff in Adobe, right? Mm-hmm. So we try to run through all of the Adobe apps. And it's one of those things where uh, different people learn in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. So you have people that like to read and kind of sit down and go, all right, do this one step, check, got it. Um, yep. And there's people that actually like to follow around with video tutorials. So Layers Magazine is kind of like the place where you go to get all sorts of free video content that kind of complements the stuff that you see in the magazine. Yeah. And at some point or another, you start seeing the magazine kind of spill into Layers Magazine. So you can follow along, you can download course examples, you can do tutorials and all that stuff. So they kind of like weave into one another to be able to augment the magazine experience. Okay. Then on top of all of that, we have the Layers Magazine blog. So I write I'm kind of like the voice for Layers Magazine for the blog yeah. where we talk about industry news and things that are cool and yep. you know, the iPhone and things like that. The iPhone. <laughs> iPhone, you say. You know, speaking of iPhone, you know, there's all these cool photographic applications on there. I mean, it's almost like a mini Photoshop in the palm of your hand. I'll, uh, you know, I like to ask people what their favorite application is on their iPhone. You know, I, I've got four or five photo manipulation apps on mine. What do you have on yours, RC? Mm, my favorite <laughs> one has to be um, all of them. <laughs> and none of them. It's very zen. <laughs> did, did, did you ever watch, you watch The Office, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, actually, Office Space is what I'm talking about. Yep. Remember, my, remember Michael Bolton? Uh-huh. was kind of put into that one spot. What's your favorite Michael Bolton song? And it's like, all of them. That's that's normally kind of how I feel when people talk to me about the iPhone. They're like, what do you like? And I'm like, well, you see, I, I kind of don't have an iPhone. Yeah, you're on the dream team with, with I, I'd say, you're if you're not at the center of the geek verse over there, you're pretty near it. <laughs> Yeah. With, with, well, I mean, you know, Scott, Kelby, and team have got to be the folks that, you know, if something new's coming out, they got to have it. You know, it's, at least that's mm-hmm. my perception. How do you manage to like be at the eye of the tornado <laughs> or the I, eye I, of the storm? I usually come in when everybody's already there through a side <laughs> entrance, and then just kind of run into my office. And I have this plastic, this plastic molding that kind of fits above my uh, Voyager. And people just sit there and go, is that an iPhone? And I go, uh, I think so. Oh, my God. That's and, great. Wow. You know, you know, I had to get that in there because, you know, <laughs> of all people, photographer, you know, intimately involved with all things creative and you don't have an iPhone. But see, it's 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 a carrier thing more than it is anything else. Like I have the iPod Touch and I use that. But down in Tampa, we're all based in Tampa. So down in Tampa, AT&T service is just not just not quite there yet really kind of a good couple of towers short Mm. so it's kind of like you can take one step and then all of a sudden we lose all sorts of signals so cell phones kind of important to me but what we were talking about before we were saying it's you know you've got a great piece of technology when i'm kind of sitting there going but 
but but do I really need a phone like at this point? Do I need it? I know I need apps that I need, but yeah. phone not so much. It's like you not know so what? Much. Do I do I really need to eat food or can I go? <laughs> you know? I could probably go without if I could. You know, yeah. It's called rationalization. <laughs> so, but well, you know, you got two years left, so. The, the AT&T exclusivity contract with, with Apple apparently runs out in about two years, so 2012-ish time frame. So well, That's we'll wonderful, right? In the meantime, I'll just wear a shirt that says Luddite <laughs> right across. <laughs> you know, you get a, wear a shirt that says Luddite and carry around an abacus and, you know, just say, you know, this is what I do. If you I don't like do, it. <laughs> I still do my emails on pencil and paper. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So let's let's talk about the uh, the event that's coming up this weekend. The event on the eighteenth. The photo. Yeah, the photo walk, which which will have happened by the time this airs. But uh, so we're we're speaking about the past in the future or something like that. Anyway, it was uh, great. It, it, <laughs> I hear it was wonderful. All right, nobody, you know, there was there were no incidents. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Every, it, everywhere in the world, it was sunny. It was sunny and, and beautiful everywhere. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. So, what is what is the the worldwide photo walk, and why are you guys doing it? It's a social. It's a social event that we wanted to kind of get together and get people with um, people with backgrounds in photography, right? Mm -hmm. And you know what? If you have a phone and it has a camera on it, and you take a picture, you're a photographer. You like an right? iPhone? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Tell me more of this iPhone you speak of. <laughs> I had to get it in there. Come on. Uh, but it's it's we wanted to get everybody we wanted to get photographers together and the concept is pretty simple, right? You take a city and you get X amount of people. We said all right, 50 is probably a pretty good number. Yeah. And we put them together and like-minded people kind of go walk around for about an hour and a half. We're going to going to go up around here and we're going to shoot some pictures. We're going to shoot what we see. Yep. At the end of the hour and a half, some people run more, some people run less. You get together and you kind of go to a place to go get something to eat, and you you do your chimping. Yep. So yep. and chimp chimping. Yeah. What is basically? Chimping? It's just just kind of you fire up the LCD in the back and you go, oh look, take a look at this, and you show it to somebody and you kind of gather around. This is a social thing. Get, it's a social yeah, thing. Totally a social thing. Totally a social thing, and it's it's one of those things that that. I really, really get excited about because it's like, you know, the photographic community is kind of just exploding right now with like mm. the advent of DSLRs and, yeah. you know, it, it's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to own a bigger and bigger, bigger rig. Yeah. And it, that, that sense of community is something that's really, really cool. And yeah. I, apparently a lot of other people think so. I mean, when we first started this last year, we did one and we had 200 and some odd photo walks. Yep. Right. Which I was, was one of decent. them. Yep. Yeah. There you go. And. Now we said, all right, well, you know, can we do that again? And it just exploded. I mean, now we have, we had 900 and some odd photo walks that are happening around the world. Wow. There's walks that are happening like in Vietnam. There's walks that are happening in Prague. Oh. There's walks that are happening in Tampa. And these people are really, really interested in getting together with one another, shooting and sharing. And, yeah. you know, that's really, really cool. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, we talk about this a lot on This Week in Photography in terms of how photography has changed uh, from, you know, the days when I was learning about the, the basics of photography. 
you would you know you get your film you go out and shoot 36 exposures and process it maybe print it if you could do that or have someone else print it for you but the audience of people that could see whatever image that you wanted to show was really small i mean it was your your close group group of friends and family you know if you're lucky enough to get a gallery or someplace to hang it maybe some people would see it there but nothing like today and nothing like the immediacy of feedback that digital technology affords us. Like you go out, like on this photo walk, you can go out with a bunch of people with all manner of digital cameras, like everything from cell phone cameras all the way up through Nikon D3s and D3Xs. And people are out there shooting this stuff. Um, and then immediately after, they can see what the person that was doing the photo walk in Vietnam shot. You know, yeah. and, and sort of get that community feel of all the stuff happening simultaneously. This could never have been done, you know, what, just 10 years ago, you know. Yeah. So it's amazing. that, the, And you're right. I mean, it's the, the barriers of entry for digital photography have dropped down so low that people can get in. And people that have a vision of, wow, I wish I could do that photographically. Now they can do it. Whereas before, they just have to dream about it. It's such a wild, it's such a wild time. I mean, it's if you go back and you think about like photography, you were mentioning thirty six exposures. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that would go out and try to learn. They go, click, and you open up a notebook and go, all right, well, this is kind of what I did in the first frame. Mm -hmm. You know, my aperture, my exposure. Yep. This is kind of what it looked like today. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. And then by the time that you get back from the lab, all of that stuff, there's that distance. You don't remember. You don't remember what you saw very, very well, mm -hmm. and the learning curve for all of that stuff, I think, was a little bit steeper because of the fact that there was so much time there. Now it's like, you know, you shoot, you look at the LCD, it doesn't look good, you, you try it again. Mm -hmm. Some people argue that the learning curve has gotten, you know, not as steep or it's a lot easier for you to be able to get into it. But with so many other people not being able to do the exact same thing, you really got to kind of go out there and try to find your voice and, and do something different. And, yeah. and I think that in that respect, it's like, all right, well, we all learn the mechanics a lot easier, but now we got to learn how to be able to express ourselves with those mechanics. Yeah. And, 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 and express that vision if you have one of what you're trying to get across. Yeah, and, it, and it takes a long time, relatively speaking, to become a master of photography. You know, like some, some of the photographers I know, and I'm close to it, but I'm not, I'm not there yet, can look at any scene and say, oh, yeah, you just shoot it at this, you know, this f-stop, this shutter speed, and you'll get this. You know, being at the level where your brain is sort of that connected to light, you know, and understanding what's going to happen, and you factor in that, okay, now if I shoot it at this f-stop with this particular lens, I'm going to see this much depth of field, and with this shutter speed, I'll have this much motion in it, you know, all those variables come in, and the more you shoot, and I tell people on the show, the more you shoot, the more you exercise that trigger finger, or the shutter finger, the better you get, you know, it's like, it's like driving a car, right? You develop that database of things in your head where you're turning around and going, all right, this is kind of what I did. You know, one of the one of the people that I think that's an absolute master at watching all of this kind of stuff is Joe McNally. Oh, yeah. Right, so what? My personal him. hero. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a very unadulterated crush on a man. Yeah. <laughs> but, but watching him work is just intense. It's like he goes, out, he goes out to a beach, takes a look at this one scenario and goes, yeah, it's like this. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, everything's done. And wow. so you hit the, he hits the trigger and you're just like, but where did that come from? And that's time <laughs> practice experience. It's yep. just, yep. so it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really, really good thing. And I think that from a, from a sense of community, right. With everybody doing this stuff, not this, this kind of shared experience where hopefully by having all these other people around you to go out and shoot with, um, you can get a little bit more back. 
with that photographic experience where you're walking and you're going, all right, well, I want to try this. But the person to the right of you is saying, all right, well, you know, take a look at it from this standpoint, you know, try this, drag your shutter here, you know, shoot under, shoot over. And, you know, hopefully you meet some people that are really, really cool. And at the same time, you become a little bit of a better photographer. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's seductive in a lot of ways. You know, the, the folks like the Joe McNally's out there and Luz Peterson's, all, the, all these folks that that understand light and photography at at the photon level, you know, and can see a scene and see things that you never would have seen <laughs> in that scene. And they can see this stuff in the scene because they've done it before and they know what does what when you do this, you know, but it's seductive. I say the, the word seductive because it's a lot of people see, well, hey, if I buy that camera that Joe has and I buy those SB 900s that Joe's shooting with and I go get a pretty model and throw her on the beach, I'll get photos like Joe, you know. Like, no. That may be true if you, you know, if you put the due diligence into learning what Joe learned, but it's not, you can't go to the, the camera store and get that stuff and head to the beach and expect to get those kind of results, you know. And isn't, isn't that the, the obvious thing where all of a sudden you go out and you take a shot, somebody takes a look at it and they're like, oh my God, that's an amazing camera you got there. It's <laughs> my pet like, beef. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Do you want to try it? Yeah, that's like telling a race car driver, wow, your car won that race. That's amazing. I want that car. <laughs> and so sad. Yeah, you know, I interviewed uh, uh, the guy that writes What the Duck. You know, have you seen that comic? Yeah. 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 So I interviewed I the duck. I love that. I actually ordered the stuffed duck yesterday. Um, uh, but I interviewed him and he had one of those cartoons in there where, you know, he had the, the, the guy, the, the one of the lead duck, I guess it is, had taken a picture and someone came up to him and said, hey, that's a fantastic camera. You it does really good work. <laughs> you know? And it's uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the cross that we all have to bear as photographers, you know, people that aren't initiated into all the work that goes into making a decent shot you know, we'll sometimes discount it by uh, saying that the, the, the gear did all the work. In some cases, Gen- RC, it does, you know. You throw Generally, it on ammo, throw it on uh, auto, it might do it. <laughs> <laughs> I carry around an SB800, and whenever somebody says that, it just kind of pop a flash in their eye. <laughs> that's it. I'm so, like, I, I don't know. It was saying thank you. That's that's what that means. Exactly. It was it was trying to make an image of you. What uh, What gear do you shoot with, speaking of your SB800? I shoot with a Nikon D700. Mm-hmm. I shoot with a 24-70-2.8, a 51.4, and that's pretty much it. A 51.4, oh, awesome. well, from lens and camera. Yeah. And then after that, I have uh, three SB800s, two SB900s, mm-hmm. and then tripods and stands. I'm a big fan of the SB800, SB900. Yeah, me so too. I, I spend a lot of time trying to flash stuff. Yeah. So here, here's a question for you. And this, this might be a conversation in and of itself. Um, gear. A lot of photographers are, and myself included, I'm not, I'm not out of this group, uh, but get caught up in the, I have to have this, I have to have more lenses. I have to have more strobes. I have to have this. I have to have that. And listening to your gear rundown, you have one body and two lenses and some strobes. And I've seen some of the stuff you shoot. It's, you know, blows the doors off of people that have all kinds of gear so where where do you find where where do you fall on that i mean is it is it a conscious decision not to have that much stuff or or something else well i i think that sometimes and now this is coming from a person who's very obsessed with gear mm-hmm. right like i love my gear yeah um but it's it's one of the things where i made a very very conscious decision 
a couple of years ago to turn around and go, all right, well, yes, you can spend all of your time chasing your gear or you can spend your time kind of just focusing on this one lens with this one camera and honing what you can do with that yeah. at that point and seeing what you can do with it and just focusing on that, just that one thing. Don't chase the new model. Don't chase the extra light. Mm-hmm. Don't chase do this. And if you need it, make sure that there's a necessity behind it. Like I, a lot of the times, the the only thing that's really kind of amplified itself in my gear bag is probably the amount of SB800s I have. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, right, well, I tried this one shoot mm-hmm. and I did this one thing and, you know, I've got my key, I've got my, you know, I've got my satellite, I've got my kicker. And, you know, I kind of would like to be able to do this one thing the next time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like necessity brings it rather than a press release. I like to call that the McNally effect. <laughs> <laughs> you can never have too many SBs. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, I, I set myself a photography project and I go, all right, well, you know, I want to take a look at this one thing. Mm-hmm. And I shoot it and then I go, well, where could it have been better? And most, almost always it's like, well, more light, more light somewhere yeah. in one part or another. And then the, the necessity kind of brings that out. So... And it's something that's relatively recent, to be honest with you, with me. It's before when I was coming into this, I was just like, oh, my God, I got to have three of those. And yeah. I've got to have a tripod and I got to have this. And and I've, I've scaled myself back. I, I found that it didn't help me as a photographer. Yeah. It yeah. only got it only got in the way because yeah. I was I, w- I was busy chasing, you know, what I call the you know, chasing the press release. You yeah. spend all this time looking at the new gadget that you don't spend a lot of time looking at the photography. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like the, the D700 you have, I mean, I have the same camera and it's, I, I still haven't, I feel like I haven't scratched the surface of all the things that that camera can do for me, you know, in terms of not even on the creative side, you know, the cameras leaps and bounds beyond cameras that were out, say five years ago, you know, and more. And people were creating some incredible stuff, you know, exactly. 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you know, and beyond, you know, and you have this state of the art supercomputer in your hands and you can do all this amazing stuff. And you haven't, you know, speaking about me, I haven't even scratched, scratched the surface of it. But now there's the new body. I want to get that one. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, I think at some point, you know, I don't want to take away from anybody's camera sales or anything, but at some point as an artist, you know, or people that aspire to be artists, we have to take a step back and say, okay, what am I trying to do here? You know, I can and do what you're doing. You know, less is more. Let me just focus on this core set of things and learn the heck out of them. And then if I need to add another Lego onto my my tool belt, then I can do that. So. Yeah, and that's and that's and that's one of the things like people talk to me about. All right. Well, I have a digital camera. Um, what's the next lens that I need to get mm-hmm. or what's the next, uh, what's the next gear bag that I need to get and what's the next this. And I almost always tell them uh, the best thing that you can possibly do to be able to take your photography from one point to another point is a tripod. Yeah. I was just like, you get a tripod and then all of a sudden the door just opens with all sorts of creative things that you can do with that. Ambient light. <laughs> after that, the next thing is a flash. Mm-hmm. Just one flash and that's it. And just, you know, don't worry so much about the lens. Don't worry about the long lens. Don't worry about the short lens. You know, uh, like listen to Jay Mizell, right? He sits there and, you know, he says, all right, well, you know, if you want to be able to take a picture of that closer, then just kind of use your feet. Yeah. Get over there and go take that picture. <laughs> yeah. um, so, the, so a lot of the times it's just like, all right, well, let's not focus on, the, you know, chasing glass and let's not focus on chasing all of this other gear. If you want to take it to the next level, 
focus on a tripod, and all that's really doing is just kind of bringing you back into the camera, learning the exposure and working and all of that kind of stuff. So in that, it just kind of get, I just get, you know, centered on the camera and just going, all right, well, how much can I learn? How much can I eke out of this one body right. before I move into the next one? Well, then, then, then the second, the, the last half of it, or, you know, the, the next piece of that would be post-production. You know, once you're, once you've got the image on your compact flash card, what do you, what do you bring it into? Oh, I, I use Lightroom for all of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm a big Lightroom Photoshop fan. Mm-hmm. I don't cool. think I've ever even touched Aperture, to be honest with you. I, I played with it a couple of times and I just found, I found Lightroom to be so intuitive yeah. with the entire process. I was just like, it was just second nature. It's like another lens, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 it is another lens. It's another lens. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, well, all right. So before we end this, uh, there's one more question for you. Uh, in terms of advice that you could give, so not you gave the gear advice, but in terms of just overall photographic advice to a, an advanced amateur or even an amateur that wants to move their photography fr- to the next level, what should they do? What, what advice would you give that person? The person who's jumping into photography right now has got an amazing amount of resources that are online to be able to do stuff. I think that that's, that's one of the biggest things is go out and take a look at the new school of photographers that are online. Um, photography's kind of gotten, it's weird because it's like over the f- last five years, the doors have opened. You know, you yeah. take a look at Dave Hobby with the Strobis. You take a look at Dustin Diaz with his 365 project that he's doing on Flickr. Yep. They're just turning around and going, you know what? You want to do this? This is exactly how. Yep. You know, and so as a photographer, the first thing that I tell them is master exposure. Right, go out and master your shutter speed, master your aperture, master how to be able to control all those elements. Mm-hmm. And then from there, start at the strobist. Go to the strobist, learn how to be able to use that flash. Mm-hmm. Go to Joe McNally, like an obviously shameless plug, right? We do Kelby training. Yeah. Go to kelbytraining.com. Joe McNally has an umpteen amount of courses in there yeah. on flash photography. Yeah. You don't know your camera? Lori Excel teaches you the D90. Yeah. You know, you go in there and Everything's available to you online now at this point. Yep. And all you got to do is just kind of just sit for a couple minutes, digest that one lesson and go, all right, let me go out and try to apply that in a project. Yep. I agree 110% with everything you just said. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of the Kelby training stuff as well. Uh, and uh, the the only negative that I have to say about the Kelby training stuff is uh, the Joe McNally series in there is so good. It's re- personally responsible for me buying more SBs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, that is so cool. I had no idea I could do that. I got to go get another, you know. So it's that's a good problem to have. But it's, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely good training. And you're right. I mean, the in this day and age, the and I hate to say that because I sound old now. But, you know, in this day and age, if you have an amazing amount of, of uh, information at your fingertips to just go out and not even go out. Just sit in the comfort of your own home, you know, with your with your laptop or your desktop machine and just absorb stuff from people that know this stuff inside and out. You know, couldn't do that before. It was head off to the library, check out an outdated book and try to try to do something new. And it was very esoteric before. I mean, I mean, before you would, they would talk about, you know, dragging shutter and doing this and doing that and mm-hmm. finding your voice. And you kind of read something and you sat there and you were like, I, I don't get it. I don't yeah. understand what's happening. Yep. But now it's like there's diagrams, there's charts, there's all of these different types of things. You have the immediacy of the Internet to be able to teach you. And then once you get the lesson, then all it's 
all from there is just your voice. Yep. And then on top of that, you have podcasts like this one with people Abs- like you telling them and inspiring them to go out and, and shoot. And people like Frederick Van. Hey. The beacon. <laughs> the beacon of photography. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't call myself. You call me the SB. I'll be the SB. <laughs> the SB. <laughs> the SB. RC, thank you so much for taking time out to uh, chat with me today. Not a problem. Thank you. Thanks where, for having me. Where can people go and find out more about you and follow you and, and all that good stuff? Well, for more on what we do, obviously go to layersmagazine.com mm-hmm. or photoshopuser.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and twitter.com forward slash layers TV underscore RC. And that was Rafael Concepcion. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash layers underscore RC. And uh, yeah, just make, and be sure to head over to Layers TV and uh, check out all the stuff they have over there. It's just a, a mountain of content to check out and learn all things Photoshop, Lightroom, creative from. Really inspiring. So now let's jump into the listener questions. The first one is assigned to me. And it says, this is from Royce Kokami. She says, hi, fellas. I'm not too knowledgeable about the naming conventions of Nikon lenses, so I was wondering if you could enlighten me. For example, what does the D, E, D, I, F, E, D, et cetera, mean at the end of the lens? I appreciate any help if possible. Thank you, and have a great day. So I did some research, and my research consisted of going into Safari and clicking the Google bar and typing... Nikon lens naming conventions, and I got to this. <laughs> uh, I'm not making fun of you, Royce, uh, but I uh, I got to this page, um, which we'll we'll link to in the show notes. It said imaging.nikon.com slash products, blah, 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 blah. Basically, it's a Nikkor lens glossary, and it has a listing of all the definitions for each one of these things and what they mean. So the uh, first one, you know, just to just to read through a couple of them, she was asking specifically what the D means, and that says uh, distance information. Hmm. DC means AF AF DC Nikkor lenses, unique lenses for unique portraits. The lenses feature exclusive Nikon defocus image control technology, blah, 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 blah. So it just basically it's a glossary and it goes on so you can decode what the marketing folks came up with at Nikon to make these lenses uh, to, to separate and differentiate these lenses. So I would uh, definitely check that out. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the you know, same thing with Canon, right? There's so much history uh, uh, over the years and they've had so many different product lines that they have to keep coming up with new ways of <laughs> of labeling and coming up with how they're going to refer to these things. Yeah. So, uh, Al, uh, Alan, I was going to say, <laughs> Aaron, Aaron <laughs> is suggesting that I get uh, snarky with this and uh, refer people to <laughs> the let, let me Google that for you dot com. <laughs> I've never heard of let me Google that for you dot com. It's pretty awesome. All it is is somebody sends you a question. Hey, do you know? And it's a question that <laughs> obviously I don't know, but I would go Google it anyway. And so you can basically <laughs> type in your query into this. Let me Google it for you. Uh, and then send the link from there, and it, all it is is just you know the answer to that question in the form of the Google search results. <laughs> well, I just used that for Royce. So Royce, I googled that for you, and the results will be in the show notes. So 
If you don't want to go to your Google bar and type in the search, you can head over to twiplog.com, find this show, and look in the show notes, and you will see the link to the Nikon Lens Naming Conventions. So next question up is for Aaron. Uh, the listener Daniel Avila wants to know, or Avila wants to know, about renting multiple bodies. You want to take that one? Sure. Um, Daniel writes, uh, I was wondering if renting multiple camera bodies such as Nikon's D90 is a good idea. Um, I have one body, and that's a Nikon D60 with three lenses. Um, long story short, he wants to rent two other bodies uh, to work with his lenses so that he's carrying an array of bodies with him that, that cover 14-24, uh, 24-70, um, and 70-200. Uh, so you basically have them all on hand at once. Um, it's certainly not a bad idea at all. Um, I own two bodies, and most of the time... When I'm doing shooting events, I'm carrying one is a 24 to 70 and the other is a 70 to 200. So I'm kind of following that that same theory um, that Daniel's mentioning. Honestly, two bodies is about all I personally want to deal with most of the time. You know, one hanging on each shoulder essentially. Uh, three starts to get a, a little bit cumbersome, so certainly consider that as well. Um, but it it's definitely not a bad idea. Uh, the other reason that I carry multiple bodies too is not just for convenience to you know grab one at a, a certain focal length depending on the shot that's in front of me, but it's also a backup thing. Because when I'm doing, um, you know, commercial photography or, you know, events for hire, that type of thing, um, I certainly can't tolerate having one camera go down on me or having yeah. my only camera go down on me in yeah. that event. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. But uh, I've found that the sweet spot for me personally is a 70 to 24 or a 24, sorry, 24 to 70 lens on one body and then a 72 uh, 200 on another body and no more than that you know the the rest right. of the lenses if i need same to get, thing i'm carrying yeah if i need to get wide yeah. then i can go back to the bag if i need to get longer i can go back to the bag but generally a 24 to 200 range is going to cover everything i need plus having the boat having both bodies with me gives me the redundancy if one goes down i have the other one and i can you know swap lenses or do whatever plus i can shoot twice as much so if i you know, if I'm shooting a D700 on one arm and a D3 on the other arm, uh, the D3 has two CF slots in it. So, you know, I'm good to go with eight gig cards in there, you know, so it's a... If I'm shooting really, really low light, which happens in a lot of events, particularly evening or nighttime, indoor type things, sometimes that 70 to 200 is not going to do me much good in, in close proximity Yeah. Uh, as well. So sometimes I'll just put a 50 millimeter prime on there on one of the bodies. Mm -hmm. But again, I'll be carrying both bodies with me the whole time. Yeah. What about you, Ron? Are you uh, when you're when you're out and about? Do you you typically carry more than one body, or are you just you're doing the one body thing? Uh, well, the one body plus the point and shoot. So okay, you know it's uh, which which is actually kind of nice. Sometimes I find that I'm more and more I'm finding that I use that little point and shoot as a quick little macro camera. Yeah, uh, and having my regular camera out there because it just you know the small sensor and the small lens means you get you can get a very short focusing distance on them, yep. and so a lot of times you know I, I can't get a macro you know not unless you toss on a dedicated macro lens you just can't get anywhere near the kind of macro shot you can get uh, with that little LX3. Oh my god! So yeah, yeah. yeah, so it ends up being sort of my second body for for that kind of quick macro thing, and uh, it's not a bad scenario. Very cool. Well, Ron, the next question is assigned to you. It's about shooting meteor showers. You want to take it? Sure. Uh, Dave DeBishop asks, uh, I'm interested in photographing the Perseids meteor shower, which peak August 12th to 13th. Having never done this before, can you offer any tips to ensure the greatest likelihood of successfully capturing something special? Uh, yeah, a couple a couple things. So the Perseids uh, is an annual meteor shower, and, and it's named for that because it, the, the meteors appear to emerge from the... Uh, 
the Perseids uh, constellation. constellation. So you kind of have a general idea. Yeah, you have a general idea where in the sky that the, the the bulk of this stuff is going to be coming from. So that's sort of number one, is you should, you know, figure out where uh, the Perseids are and be able to point your camera in that general direction. Uh, second thing is, you know, these these meteors are obviously pretty bright going across the sky, but they're not. I mean, I've actually gone out and watched the Perseids in the past, and you know, it's not like you've got just rapid fire meteors constantly streaming across the sky all night long. It's the kind of thing where you know one will come by every. Um, minute or two, sometimes. You know, occasionally, you'll get lucky. You'll have a couple of them happen in the in the same uh, minute kind of a time frame. So you're really going to want to try and set up something where you have a fairly long exposure, um, ideally several minutes long, and then you're going to have to you know deal with with setting things up appropriately for that. So you know, set up your camera obviously on a tripod, um, and, and then just sort of play with the. And really, ahead of time, you should figure out kind of what's your options for how long the exposure should be. Now, to do this, uh, at some point, you're going to need something beyond just the existing capabilities of most cameras. Most of these cameras, by default, can only have an open shutter for 30 seconds on their own. So you're going to need some sort of an external uh, shutter release that can either do a specific timing or manually hold it open yourself. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is most of these shots are going to get kind of boring, I find, if it's just looking at the sky. So try to find some sort of foreground thing. If you can set yourself up so there's maybe some, you know, nice trees or something that frame it, or if you're if you're not out in the in the wilderness, you know, just some sort of structure or something that kind of gives a little more form to it than just being uh, a shot of the sky. You know, even if you do get some meteors in there, it's just going to be a lot more interesting if you see them in relationship to something else. Yeah. So that's kind of my quick and dirty composition. Absolutely. But I, I, I'd throw in, too, that if you're using a, a DSLR, if it has what's called bulb mode on it, that's what you're looking for as far as the mm -hmm. shutter staying open. Also, um, if you have the option for, um, it's usually in the custom options, uh, those little numeric options that appear in a Canon DSLR, um, is the ability to do, um, God, the phrase just went right out of my head uh, as I was saying this. It's but the, uh, It's the noise reduction stuff, the well, there's that, but also the uh, the shutter um, that holds the mirror, the mirror holding oh, feature. Oh, mirror uh, lockup. Lock lock mirror lockup, exactly. It locks your mirror up. So your exposure, if you were pressing the button, would be two presses. The first press is going to lock the mirror up. The second press is what's going to actually open the shutter, and then the whole thing will close when it's done. Um, but what that does is it reduces that mechanical vibration in the body of the camera from the mirror flipping up at the time that takes the image. And it's amazing how much difference that can make in a very, very long exposure in low light. And, and last of all, too, I would definitely add, um, you know, an external, as Ron was saying, an external shutter release. So if you can combine bulb mode, mirror lock, and that external trigger, you won't be physically touching the camera and vibrating at any, you know, when it's on the, uh, the tripod. And also, if you have a fisheye lens, that's great. If you want to rent one or borrow one sometime, you know, that makes for a great way to see the whole sky, too. Yeah. Cool. I think so, Aaron. Uh, next question up is about buying gear in Japan. It's from listener Ryan Lokes. Hope I'm pronouncing his name right. And basically, he said he's, he found out recently that he'll be traveling to Kyoto, Japan for some work later this fall. And he wants to know what camera stores he can visit while he's there. And also, are there any tips for uh, whether he should be bargaining uh, or not in Japan? Um, I'd say, having spent some time there, uh, no. You're not, if you're going to a camera store, um, and listeners, feel free, if you're in Japan, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are not going to be bargaining um, it's pretty much you buy whatever uh, or you pay whatever is on the sticker and you walk away with it just like any place else uh, or in the United States. 
but the uh, the as far as stores to go to there, my favorite store. There's a bunch of stores, of course, in Japan that you can go to. But my favorite store, and I think Alex mentioned a store once before too. Um, it's a little place or a gigantic place actually called Yodobashi Camera. Um, they've got a bunch of outlets in Tokyo, in and around Tokyo, uh, and I believe they have some some outlets in Kyoto as well. But this is a the one that I went to, or the, my favorite one in Tokyo, was a multi level. I think they had like six or seven levels, uh, maybe more, of just camera gear. Like on one level they'd have camera bodies, on another level they'd have bags, and another level they'd have. Uh, you know, accessories, and then on and on and on. Books on another level, and you just sort of go in there and, you know, at the time, um, you know, I'd go in there and just look because I couldn't buy anything. So I just go spend spend my time. <laughs> you spend, go in there and go bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would go mentally bankrupt. I just go in there and like, wow, if I one day I'm gonna buy that camera, you know. But uh, it's a it's a great place. It's a it's a one stop shop kind of place. But I don't think you're going to wait in line with your purchase and get all the way to the front and start haggling over price in a store like that. So I I wonder, I mean, are there really deals to be had by purchasing in Japan versus purchasing purchasing locally? I mean, last time I looked around, it was not uh, not cheaper at all to shop over there. So you you might want to do a little web searching before you head out uh, because you may find that when you get there, it's you know you're actually going to be spending more to get it, and you know you've got the issue of you buy a camera over there, and very often it won't come with an English manual, uh, and you know the the warranty service is going to be different. Yeah. So the the thing I like when I travel to places like that that have a lot of high tech stuff is not you know I wouldn't buy a main camera body or, or anything like that, but or even a lens probably unless it was sort of the a weird specialty kind of thing or weird gadgets. That's the kind of stuff that you tend to find in those places where there's a strange strobe accessory or maybe a weird lens attachment or you know that kind of thing is is usually the the more interesting finds that I come across when I travel. Yeah, and uh, and the last thing I would leave you with if you're if you can make it to this this town called Akihabara in japan there and ron you're laughing you've probably been there right oh yeah yeah it's it's kind of like a city that is it's like ces but it's a city it's just a a (laughs) giant place that's nothing but gadgets everywhere you go um and you can just get lost in there yeah and by gadgets that includes everything from what you would think of as sort of technical gadgets all the way to you know the uh the mechanized toilet seats oh yeah uh, yeah you know, and, and just bizarre things that you don't even know what they're for. Yeah. So if you want to bring back something that's just weird, uh, be, and just say, hey, "I went, to, I got this in Japan." You know, I'm cool like that. Just go to Akihabara and uh, buy some stuff there. It's a cool place. Uh, with that, let's move on to the picks of the week. And uh, first up is Aaron. Um, mine actually are, are kind of a holdover from a week or so ago. Um, we, uh, I think we skipped our picks last week just based on our time, so I kind of pulled them forward. Um, and it's just a handful of uh, a really good web-based Apollo 11 remembrances. Um, and again, we'll have the links in the show notes, and I can kind of rattle them off here. There's the Big Picture blog, which we've Ron and I both have cited many times on the show, I think, just for the sheer quality of, uh, of the pictures that they assemble. Um, Pixcetera had a multimedia presentation um, about uh, the Apollo 11 audio, video, so on and so forth. It was just really, really well put together. And and, uh, and then, of course, the restored mission footage uh, from NASA, which is kind of related to that whole issue that somebody taped over the original recording. So they had to, uh, you know, to do restoration work on on 
I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the versions that we've always seen on television and, uh, and what they had to use for the restoration work as well um, were actually a camera pointed at a slow-scan television at NASA uh, that yep. recorded it. So, you know, you can imagine <laughs> the quality, but uh, the restoration does look certainly better than anything I've ever seen, and they're online in, in full HD resolution uh, for, for modern viewing. Not that the original was that high, but, uh, you know, the distribution looks a whole lot better than it does anything else I've seen. Excellent. And uh, Ron, what's your pick of the week? This is just a, sort of an old favorite that I have sitting in my RSS feed that uh, occasionally turns up some very interesting stuff. It's the Abandoned Places blog. And, uh, you know, it's just an online it's a live journal site that people post their photos of various abandoned structures around the world. Uh, for whatever reason, it seems like most of the postings are places in Eastern Europe. You see a lot of uh, Russian graffiti on a lot of these things. But every now and then, you know, and a lot of it's just the same stuff repeated of abandoned building here and there. But every now and then you'll see some really beautiful stuff put up there where clearly there's a photographer that kind of loves the uh, the juxtaposition of, you know, man-made structures that are going back to seed and, and, and uh, nature sort of reclaiming it. Um, combine that with some great photography, wonderful lighting, and there's some really neat stuff that comes across there. So we'll put a link to that on the on the uh, web page as well. It's just one of those, like I said, I just stick it in my RSS feed, and occasionally you get those interesting photos will come across the radar. Excellent. Is it a different different format really than Opacity? Opacity.us, I think, is the other site. Yeah, that's another another one. I think we talked about in the past, which is more of a destination website where uh, you know they tend to curate the stuff a little bit more. This is more just sort of random stuff that people toss up there of abandoned places, and uh, you know, not not as much context around it, and it's just sort of eye candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> All right, my uh, my pick of the week is from. Uh, Bruce Clark, he's a guy that helps us with the show notes for This Week in Photography. And uh, you can find him on Twitter at twitter.com slash Bruce Clark. And that's Clark with an E, I believe. C-A-L-R-K-E. Um, but he uh, he and I were going back and forth on email earlier this week um, just discussing high-end labs, photo labs. And he suggested uh, MPix Pro. They're a division of Miller's who uh, they've sort of retooled to sort of better suit pro photographers and streamline the process and offer products that are specifically targeted to pro photographers. And uh, I really, I like them. They've got a really slick interface. I haven't sent any photos to Impix um, in a while. A while back, I sent, I think about two years ago, I sent them, uh, I think it was a 20 by 24 to have mounted and it came back stellar. I mean, it was, it was jaw dropping the quality and the attention to detail that they have on both the printing and the packaging all the way through. So, uh, you know, if Impix Pro is a level up from that in terms of, you know, packaging and service and all that, then, you know, you can't go wrong. But I would definitely check them out. We'll put a link to them in the show notes there at uh, just uh, Impix, M-P-I-X, pro.com. And the lab that I was, that I shot back to Bruce was White House uh, Color, or WHCC, and uh, I have been using that lab a lot for, for lots of large prints and things like that. And same experience. It's just sort of a, you know, you, you from start to finish, these labs have sort of nailed that customer service and that turnaround time and the packaging, those touch points that photographers have about getting, you know, getting your stuff in or getting your stuff to them and then getting it back to you 
quickly and then just flawless, you know, so and then making you look really good to your clients. So I would definitely check both of those labs out if you're if you're looking for a lab or if you just want to learn more about the different options out there. Again, mpixpro.com and whcc.com. It looks like that's it. That brings up brings us up to the end of episode 100 of this week in photography. Any uh, any parting shots, Ron Brinkman? I just want to thank everybody out there who's stuck with us for 100 episodes. I don't know how many people are uh, still listening that were from the original one. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's it's fun. Let's do another 100. Absolutely. And Aaron Mailer, any uh, parting shots? I would have to agree with Ron. Um, thanks for the listeners for sticking with us. And, and uh, you know, we'll easily do 100 more, I'm sure. Absolutely. And if you want to contact us uh, online, you can you can reach Ron on the Twitters at Ron Brinkman, twitter.com slash Ron Brinkman with two N's. And Aaron is at half press, twitter.com slash H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S. And if you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter as well at twitter.com slash Frederick Van. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. 